0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to OnsBiz as we kick off the afternoon with The Call, uh, 60 Minutes, where we take a look at 10 stocks uh, that you've asked us to uh, take a look at. I put it to an expert panel for their adjudication. It is incredibly informative and uh, 60 Minutes to set you in the right direction. And uh, joining us today, uh, Scott Phillips from Motley Fool. Scott, how are you?
2: Kashi, good I'm very well. Thank you, mate. You your good self?
0: Uh, very good. And Mark Morland excellent from Arizona in the U.S. You've been allowed yes. to escape. What are you doing over there? Yeah, um, I, you... I,
1: I can't, I can't, I can't share with you how I got out of the country, but I've escaped, and okay. uh, I'm enjoying the land of the free.
0: <laughs> oh, excellent. You're not, you're not uh, visiting Berkshire Hathaway, or? Uh...
1: No, no, that's not until that's in May. I did go to the Salt Conference uh, about a week ago in New York, which oh. was fantastic. Fascinating. Uh, very, very interesting. We can talk about that if you like, but uh, that was that was excellent. Yeah. And I'm having some R and R in uh, Arizona okay, at the what, moment.
0: What were the key points out of that conference? You came away. Okay, with. They had,
1: we had Ray Dalio and they had all the you know the top gurus there and so on. But basically, the three biggest themes were crypto, uh, crypto and uh, DeFi, which is the the, uh, um, the the new financial system built on that's going to be progressively being built on blockchain and so on. Is right. eating Wall Street. Right. And the other two were ESG, you know, which is the uh, Environmental uh, and Governance. Yep. A social oh, sustainability—that—that's yeah. Yeah, obviously a big deal from the point of view of how big it is and how big it's going to be right. from an investability right. point of view. That's true. And then the other one was interesting. There was a lot done on uh, longevity. So they had all the top people in the uh, the world and professors and so on on the progress that's being made in genetics and biology and so on to wow. extend our lifetime, life frame, life, um, our lifetimes and the investability of all that. And it's going to be a really, really big business.
0: Gee, that is fascinating. When you come back, we might talk to you. About a bit in more detail about that one, but uh, let's get... Yeah, no, it is great. Love learning about that sort of stuff. Now, if you tuned in yesterday, you would know that for the next two weeks, we're going to shake it up a bit from our usual stock of the day. I've asked our guests to pick a stock that they would buy today to help fund their kids' or grandkids' education costs. Think of it as sort of almost like a future fund. I'm looking for... The long-term high-quality portfolio uh, to pay for horrendous education costs uh, that children face or raising kids i've got my own children (laughs) with their own kids going asking me to put in money i'm saying no stuff that i'll (laughs) uh, talk to our experts about some stocks that you put away to pay for education costs so let's see what uh our expert panel thinks today scott phillips it's an interesting one you must Get this from your cohort a fair bit on uh, how do you invest and put away a little bit to pay for kids mm-hmm. what's a stock you'd suggest
2: yeah koshi i've gone a little bit boring by choosing an etf mate but I hopefully you yeah. made up for it with the excitement of the companies there are in and that's the beta shares nasdaq 100 etf it trades on the asx under the code ndq a couple of things there the first is these are the companies that i think are going to keep inventing the future both the companies that already are on the index and the ones are going to be added to it over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, depending on how long you're saving and what you're paying for. Um, These are the businesses that are literally inventing the future, mate. It sounds like an easy marketing tagline. Maybe it is. But think about the Apples, the Amazons, the Facebooks, the Netflixes, the NVIDIAs who are doing the graphics processing unit chips, the Teslas, you know, and then whatever the next generation, the generation thereafter are, I think they'll most likely be listed on the Nasdaq. So the tech titans of today and tomorrow I think are there. it's going to be a good ETF. So it's, it's diversified. So it means if you're going to go yeah. only buy one or a couple of these, you get a nice chance. The other thing is, of course, these are companies that hopefully those kids themselves can identify with. So if you're sharing that information with the kids, say, here's what I'm doing. Yeah. You talk to them about companies they own, they use, they encounter, they're part of every day, week, month. They also get some sense of what, why, and how. You might just build some love of investing alongside actually paying for that education cost as well.
0: Yep, great suggestion, great suggestion. Uh, Mark, what would you
1: suggest? Well, it's a, it's a challenging one, and I put all my kids through private school and wore the costs and the agony of that, and swore that I would never pay for my grandchildren. And of course, what do you think's happened? <laughs> I'm, 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 You're I'm, a sucker. I'm paying, I'm paying half. Right. Which is why I'm going to have to keep working until old age. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so this is a really big problem, and of course, depending on how many years you're talking about, uh, I think I think um, uh, Scott's suggestion is, is a good one. But I couldn't suggest an ETF because we don't do ETFs. So um, I thought, well, out of the out of our, our wealth winners, which is the best, least or the lowest risk, highest return company over the long term? And I've chosen technology one TNE. Oh, yeah um and it, it it's a company I've spoken about lots of times and i had I went back and had a look at it. I first invested in this company ten years ago, and my- my average compound return is ninety four percent a year yeah, you know, for over, wow. over the last is over the last just over over ten just over ten years nearly eleven years so now at the moment it's it's not cheap right at the moment though it's eleven dollars eighty nine so i didn't i didn't work on the basis if you'd buy it today I would right. say this is a perfect company because because it's got fabulous moats, founder CEO, very very strong business model that I can't see being disrupted uh, over the period. Um, but I wouldn't pay more than about eight dollars fifty for it. It's currently right. eleven dollars eighty nine. But that, by the way, if you look at the history of it, I would say you know, you, you will get an opportunity to buy it at that kind of price within probably six months or 12 months because right. you know, that's the fluctuation. It's right at the top of its range at the moment. Yeah. So obviously the better you buy these companies, the better you do comp- from a compound return point of view. But that's a company you could also add to over time. And it doesn't meet the uh, the uh, the diversification argument, but uh, it's super, super, super low risk. I think it's one of the lowest risk companies on the ASX. Mm-hmm. And I think you if you buy okay. it at 850, you would get about 20% per year return. And 20% for, for viewers, if you get 20% average total return, that's six times your capital. So if you put 10,000 in, you have 60,000. You put a million in, and you have 6 million in 10 years. That just puts it in, yeah. in context. So That's a really good uh,
0: suggestion. Well in- yeah. and, a, and a good stock to put on your list for a, a pullback in the market. If you're one of those people yes. a bit like me, that get a bit scared about September and October. Um, that if there's a crash, you put it on your list to... Uh, to get into it at a much cheaper price. Let's get into the stocks that uh, our viewers want us to take a look at. Now, Joseph, um, Scott wants a view on Pacific Current Group. Uh, Joseph Mm. says, I've invested since it was called the Treasury Group. Uh, Analysts have difficulty valuing its earnings, and it's always, in my opinion, been undervalued. But is it starting to move now? I'm retired. I said growth in dividends. What are your thoughts? Now, I, this hasn't come up on the call uh when i've been doing it but it invests in boutique fund managers and its share prices had a bit of a run-up recently because it invests in a group called uh gqg partners which is looking to uh, to maybe list in the future um what do you think of pacific current group scott
2: yeah, Koshi, it's a really interesting business model because these guys are you know, owners of other fund managers, investors in other yeah. fund managers. Normally, a large minority stake, sometimes a small majority stake, but they want to have uh, you know a skin in the game, support those other fund managers. It's kind of you know it's a, it's a bit of a beauty contest. You find some fund managers you think are pretty good, you bring them under your wing, you put in some money, hopefully you get some of the benefit there. So it's kind of it's almost not miles away from a franchise model. Quite honestly, it's not exactly yeah. that, of course, but similar kind of thought. The challenge, I think, unfortunately, is that while it kind of looks like it might be beginning to move, earnings have been all over the place over the past five or six years. I like fund managers as a sector. They should be be businesses as a group that do really well as markets both go higher and more and more money is put into those markets and they're probably obviously related, but more super money going in, more personal investments going in, markets tracking higher as they tend to do. Fund managers should be leveraged bets on exactly that phenomenon. So they should be really good investments. The challenge, of course, is that not every fund manager is and the results can be really lumpy. So Pacific Current earnings have been, unfortunately, exactly like that, really lumpy over the past five or six years. And it's not yet really clear to me whether there's a sustainable change in that story. So if you look at a single period of time, and as you say, that potential IPO could catalyze some value for shareholders, which would be great. But again, that's probably already reflected now in the share price. And so if it's already factored in, there's no upside left necessarily, maybe a bit of risk-adjusted upside, um, those people who don't necessarily want to bank the whole lot. So maybe if it happens, there's something there. But it's a really tough one. So I like fund managers. I think it's worth investing in the space, generally speaking. But I'd like to either see more sustainable, solid, continuous earnings, preferably up and to the right, or a reason to believe that that is going to either start or continue to happen. I don't see that with Pacific Current, unfortunately. Okay.
0: All right. Uh, Scott? Um, Mark, I oh, sorry.
2: sorry. Yeah. Um, yes, I agree
1: with what Scott said. I, I, I actually like the business model. Um, I think there's fractional ownership of funds. Well, I, I suppose the reason I like it is I've been, I invested in Pinnacle, which is PNI, oh, yeah. and that has been a, a spectacular wealth winner. Now that's the same business model that these guys have got. Oh, so they own even a, they they own a similar number of funds, although they do own some bigger funds. Like they the most re, one of the recent ones is they invested in Coolabar, uh, you know, Joy's company. Right. um and uh, that's i think that's now got about 2 billion under management so that's not a, that's not a small fund having said that these guys have not delivered so if you look at their return on equity it's 5.8 which is very mediocre and over the last 5 years if i look at the um the even even looking at the share price which we don't focus on share price but if you bought it in 2015 it was $13.99 and now it's currently 7.40 so you're down about 40% and if you look at their earnings, they've been flat and all over the shop, as Scott said, during a time that has been spectacularly good for fund managers. So, yeah. so if they can't make money when they've had a massive tailwind, which we really have had, um, when are they going to make money? So, right. there's no way right. I would consider investing in this based on the fact that one of their funds might list or like or yawn. Right. You know, like yeah. maybe it will, maybe it won't. Uh, there's nothing here to give me any any confidence so that you would consider putting money into it.
0: Okay, so so if you wanted like for like, in your view, Pinnacle is a better...
1: Oh, uh, Chalk right. and cheese.
0: Right, okay. All right, uh, Robin wants a view, Mark, on Coles. Um, Robin says, I've retired, so I'm looking at it for dividends and being a defensive stock. So, first of all, what do you think of Coles and does it fulfil Robin's criteria?
1: Uh, to a degree, um, it is definitely a defensive stock. It's not going to go broke and, you know, we all have to eat. So um, that's fine. If you look at their, they've only been listed for since 2018. It don't, we, don't have, we don't have enough data from the from conscious investor's point of view to really be able to, to uh, predict what's going on. However, their earnings dropped. Um, uh, we got an 11% decline from uh, 2019. It's been pretty, it was pretty flat to low. So there's no earnings growth. That's not surprising, by the way. Uh, for a company like this. And if Coles, if Coles can be just stable and with the current earnings, um, then you can still get a decent return on it. But it's actually got um, uh, their, their P-E ratio at the moment is 22 on fairly flat earnings. So it's pretty expensive. And the dividend it's paying, because the question was about uh, dividend, is $0.28 cents fully franked. Uh, and that's about 3.61%, according to my calculator which is not spectacular. I mean, it's, it's not the worst dividend around. Um, I'll be interested to see what Scott thinks, but I couldn't give you a prediction on it other than it's not going anywhere. Um, I just think the, uh, the current P seems to be very X-y.
2: Okay. Scott? I agree with Mark. I think it's a tough one. When people say defensive, I think you need to be really clear. And I'm glad Mark talked about defensive businesses rather than defensive stocks, because we've seen on that share price chart, even, I mean, look at Woolies. You know, it went from from sort of 20 to 40, back to 20, and back to 40. Um, you know, over a multiple number of years. Now, if a supermarket retailer can halve and double, um, that's just a reminder to everybody that even the most defensive of businesses kind of its share price really whips all around based on the mood of the market. I think that's what we saw there. Coles hasn't gone quite, uh, hasn't been quite as volatile. But even there, you see that graph showing really significant moves. Now, of course, it was COVID related. But a reminder, if you're buying shares because you don't want to see the share price fall, that can happen mm. even if the business itself is defensive. So just keep that in mind. Don't buy, none of this, we say defensive, we don't mean share price won't move or won't fall. We're saying the business itself is solid and sustainable. And I think it is. So Coles, defensive business, fantastic. Um, I wouldn't buy it at the current price to beat the market. So as, as Mark says, P, of 22-plus on my numbers. Um, for a business that might grow in regular non-COVID times, maybe 3 to 6% a year on the over the long term, that's a very, very high price to pay, and that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Now, maybe the market always overpays for Coles, and that's fine. Um, but if you're looking for, for some sort of probabilistic outcome, there's a very good chance it underperforms the market from here. That said, the question wasn't about total return. So I wouldn't buy it for total return. Would I buy it for income? Yeah, absolutely. As part of a diversified portfolio of income-producing shares, most people have, you know, particularly in income, three or four of the big four banks make up 50, 60, 65% of their portfolios. That is way too concentrated. So I would absolutely add Coles, 3.6% dividend yield on my numbers, add some franken credits on top of that, you get to five. That's a really, really good place to park some of your cash. Now, hard to say that when I expect the share price to not outperform. So you're going to pay for some of that with lower returns. But if you're in retirement, hopefully you're, you're going to live on the dividends and not even worry so much about the capital value. If that's the case, yeah. then 5% gross stop is a really good starting point.
0: Okay, but can you get better? Like yesterday, we had Gaurav and Mathan on and the Centuria Industrial Reek came up and they said, mm-hmm. for income investors, that's a That's a really good one. Uh, I think last week, the week before, APA was seen as a good uh, income producer. So, you know, can, can you do better in terms of income yield
2: stocks? You can, but you should also be really diversified. So, right, um, yeah. just just you, you absolutely can find better. I don't know as much about Centuria. I do like APA a lot as an income stock. Yeah. Now it's not fully frank, by the way. So again, keep that in right. mind because if the frank yes. credits are you need to gross those up. But yeah, APA is great. Coles is fantastic for income. I wouldn't mind having, say, a Macquarie in an income yeah. uh, portfolio, oh, for example. Plenty of others besides. Maybe we should do a, a call on portfolio stocks, yeah, yeah. So income stocks, at some point. Yeah. Uh, but it's. Yeah, look, and that's one where, you know, the other other thing you do, by the way, is beat the market and sell a small amount of your portfolio every year to fund your your expenses. So there's different ways of generating income from a portfolio. But if you're looking for an income stream from fully franked or partially franked dividends, yeah, Coles is great. APA is great. Centurion, probably great. Those guys are smart guys, so I'm sure it's a, it's a good idea as well. Uh, Macquarie, there's heaps you'd throw in. Right. Adairs, the the, the homewares retail thinks a really good income company right now. So, really? yeah. yeah, just be diversified. Try to let any of them be more than 5 or 6% of your portfolio, at least not for extended periods of time, because you are looking for income, and if one of those falls, it may dent yep. your, your living standards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, d- diversify and, and grab something okay. across the range. Don't just grab the banks.
1: Really good point. Yeah, actually, Koshi, just on yeah. that too, it's interesting. I mean our, our miners have become uh, are now considered as dividend stocks. Fortescue look at Fortescue, what's Fortescue paying? It's oh got, no. You know, it's top with their, with their so, special dividend and everything. Yeah, that's yep. yeah, no, yeah. a point. So, I mean, even, even you could consider the miners now because they're now that they have this new discipline of not blowing money on massive acquisitions yeah, yeah. and returning it to shareholders, they've changed their whole makeup.
0: <laughs> yeah. Would you call a miner a defensive stock?
1: Anyhow, that's a question for another day, <laughs> which we- that would
0: be an interesting discussion, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We might do that. That's a good suggestion. We might focus on uh, an income portfolio. as a bit of a special here on the call in the next week or two. Um, now, um, Mark, Colin wants a view on uh, on Virtus Health, the uh, private hospital, day hospital. Uh, uh, they run fertility clinics, specialised diagnostics, um, recently uh, bought three-day hospitals from Helios and... Uh, Um, uh, um, as well with um, uh, an issue worth $35 million. What do you think of Virtus?
1: Um, It's not one we've ever looked at. As you said, they're in the fertility area. They've been around for quite a while. So we've got uh, eight years, I think, uh, history on them. Their growth rate is average negative minus 3.5 over the last six years. And that's largely because they had a fairly big drop in 220, which let's say that's uh, because of Corona and uh, probably not being able to do uh, for the, the lack of surgeries and so on would have hurt them, I would think. Um, so but, but, but their earnings have been flat. And the trouble, that, that, the problem with flat earnings is just not very exciting, you know, yeah. from the point of view of wanting to pay a high P.E. And the P at the moment not that high. It's a 14.1, which is in the middle of the black for us. Yep. And we're, even with that, because the earnings are so flat and slightly negative, <clears throat> we're showing it returning about negative 2% a year on on uh, Conscious Investor on our calculations. So for me to get a 10% return on it, I wouldn't want to pay more than uh, $3.63, okay. which is a fair way away yeah. from where it is at five eighty-eight. Sure yep at the scott? moment so it's, a, it's not a bad company i'm not saying it's bad it's just yep um yeah. you know, it's just not very exciting scott
2: <laughs> yeah it's not very exciting i'm not going to say it's a buy it's probably a hold for me uh the reproductive business i think is going to be a long-term tailwind business we're seeing more and more people take up more and more fertility services across the board if you think mm-hmm. about um people having kids later making different life choices and again the the technology is getting so much better now the number of additional services they're offering the ability to, to treat a whole lot of different um, uh, reproductive concerns or challenges is continuing to increase. So I think it's a really nice tailwind business. I think it's going to grow moderately well for many, many years to come as we, as we find new and better ways of, of dealing with reproductive challenges. The opportunity, too, is also in Singapore and in Ireland where they have small but growing businesses. And it's interesting, too, that even though this is the biggest IVF provider in the country, the absolute number of IVF services is still relatively small. And so you can actually track those using the Medicare provider numbers. And they're pretty volatile year on year. Partly that's economic. Partly that's just because we're dealing with such low numbers. Just general you know, statistical variability is enough to see this jump all over the place. As Mark said, 2020 was tough because of COVID. A whole lot of um, non-essential services, of course, in private hospitals and public hospitals were cancelled uh, because, of course, we wanted to maintain uh, or reduce the possibility of cross infection and maintain available staff should the worst come to the worst. So that absolutely hurt their numbers. I do expect over time that's a growth story, though. The Virtus uh, brands, IVF Australia, the major one, is really well-known and particularly popular. I think that'll grow moderately well. I think Singapore and Ireland give you a really nice bit of just a kick-up in in growth potential. Now, there's also the chance Mm. they flame out, so bear that in mind. At 14 or 15 times earnings, though, not particularly expensive. So Mm. I'm right on the fence on this one. You could probably push me either way. But now, for me, it's a hold. Any cheaper, I think it's worth buying. Much more expensive. Mm. You want to see whether Singapore and Ireland are starting to work out because you want to know there is some chance or, or a good chance of that growth coming to pass. So a hold for me for now. Okay. I like the business a lot. I think it's a nice defensive one.
0: All right. Our next stock, Julie, wants to view uh, Scott on um, an ETF. You uh, had an ETF for our education fund. Julie wants the beta shares S&P 500 yield maximizer fund. Julie says... Interested in this ETF, as I have all my money in Australian shares, I'm looking for an ETF in US stocks that pays a nice dividend.
2: Yeah, Koshi, I want to like this one. I really do. Um, It's it's one that is not bad for income, uh, people who are looking for income. So, again, a bit like Coles. If you want to play this as part of a diversified portfolio, it's it's right. Having some U.S. exposure or substantial exposure is really smart in any portfolio, particularly one that's income generated. You want to make sure you're getting income from around the world. If there is an Australian-specific recession, for example, or downturn, having something coming from the rest of the world is smart. And again, I mentioned the, the NASDAQ 100. Plenty of those companies are in the S&P 500. So I like the index itself. I think the index is going to be a long-term winner if you were to buy the S&P 500. If I have a watch out on this one, it's that – they generate a lot of the income through tradings, options strategies, other stuff that is just kind of it's not just no. is not just dividends alone. You're not just harvesting, uh, you know, a, a kind of a weighted dividend story from that S and P 500. They're using the index, they're playing silly buggers with it. And look, not not right. in a bad way. British shares are good people. They're doing the right things, but it's not a plain vanilla income producing ETF. You think about if you're getting your five percent from a bank or your your three point six percent from Coles, hmm. for example. You say, well, I'll get that from the U.S. The U.S. Okay. dividends average just over 2%. Um, so if you're getting any more than that, you know it's being done with some trading strategies, and that can go well or it can go badly. Again, the, the people at BetaShares are doing exactly the right thing. They're doing it the best way they can. I just think most people don't realize necessarily what they're getting or mm. what the risks to your capital are, despite the best intentions of the fund manager yep. um, to, to deliver a good return. So, I, I, again, if you, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be against it. Keep it small. Understand what you're buying. Maybe 5% of an income portfolio would make some sense. It's obviously not well, no, Obviously, it's not going to beat the market over the long term, but you might get a decent income from it as long as you know what you're getting.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point, how how they do it, whether it's just in straight income stocks or a bit of, like, for want of a better description, financial engineering play Basically, some exactly of the, the synthetics. Yep. Um, Mark, what do you think of this, this idea? Yeah.
1: Um, well, it's actually very small too it's the market caps only 100 million this right. is tiny you know, so and and as for, for a company that's this small then doing all these clever option strategies and everything else to try and bump up income that would that would scare me and the other thing is it made a loss last year of about of about 8% so so it lost 8% of the capital last year which is not very encouraging so i don't know what the uh, whether they paid out a dividend or not um, last year so it yeah, you know, no, too 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 hard, too complicated. And also remember the the S and P 500 hasn't done anywhere near as well as the Nasdaq. So when we look at the U S. market and look at it how it's growing, admittedly the Nasdaq has a, a lot lower dividend rate than the uh, S and P would have. Uh, the S and P, as Scott mentioned, was still average of about two percent dividend anyway. So, but the from a capital side of it, all the growth has been on the Nasdaq because yeah, that's where all the okay. facebooks and all those others are so i don't think the s p 500 is very exciting for me I'd, i i wouldn't be putting any money into it
0: okay all right um our next one lakshan wants a view uh, mark on karoon energy oil and gas exploration company operating in australia brazil peru it's got five projects including the browse basin offshore gas reservoirs and uh, the North Carnarvon Basin, uh, also a couple in the Andes as well. Um, hasn't ever done much, but when I was doing my research, um, uh, Gaurav Sodi, an intelligent inv- investor, who's a regular here on the call, um, he did a story on it only last month, an analysis saying, they say turnarounds rarely turn. What happens when they do, but nobody notices? And... Uh, <laughs> It was about Karoon Energy. And I thought, when I originally looked at it, I thought, oh, the guys are going to bag this. And then I thought, oh, Gorab seems to be a bit hot on it.
1: Hmm, okay. Um, <laughs> That's not to influence you. I should have said it at the end, <laughs>
0: rather, sorry.
2: I mean,
1: in fact, it had a, it made a good profit back in 2015, where it made 85 cents a share. Right. Um, and then what's hap- what's happened is the sales have jumped up dramatically from two twenty negative twenty negative twenty nine cents to uh, per share to five cents positive uh, last year. So there's been a big jump after being very very flat. Now I'm not sure that's, whether that's because of gas prices because I don't know the uh, the details of the business. Um, but this this company has had a history of non performance. Mm. So and th- that's the trouble with these things, you know, like. If you've been invested in this for ten years, it's been a sorry, sorry situation. Yep. You know, you, you've done really, really badly. Um, so why would you get into it now on the basis that maybe, maybe it's turned? For me, I'd want to see the evidence first. And if no one's noticing that its sales are going up, I'll, I'll be interested to see what the earnings do. That the earnings have picked up frack marginally. Uh, uh, the earnings last year for twenty one are uh, five cents per share. Um, it's, you know, it's not much. Yeah, <laughs> for the for yeah, the yep. for the size of the business and the, yep. the complexity yep. that it's operating in five countries and it's got this is you know it's, it comes across as being a big business but doesn't just doesn't generate much and the return on equity is only five percent which is way below uh, our minimum yep. of ten.
0: Okay, um, Scott Gorab does say it has a long history of paralysis, mismanagement, and this is the big one. It hasn't produced any oil and gas in nearly 20 years but then that. he goes on so go on intelligent investor if you want to read Gaurav's spin uh,
2: or analysis yeah, and, and Gaurav's a really smart guy he knows a lot yep. more about this stuff than I do really honestly mate so you know sometimes we shouldn't be as analysts afraid, afraid to say look you know I'm probably is a, better, is a better judge than I am I will say for a couple of things first thing is the oil price is the highest it's been in almost exactly three years Yep. So assume yep. that's baked into share prices of any oil and gas explorers or uh, producers. Now, less so in the explorers, of course, because you're looking at development risk and exploration risk. Um, and to Goro's point, you know, sometimes the turnarounds do turn. And yep. it is when the exceptions to the rule happen that you do get the really big returns, right? Because you look at Fortescue, right? thought the nine oil miner could make a buck 10, 15 years ago? Turns out Twiggy got 2.4 billion of them in dividends alone, as we just mentioned. So, you know, th- th- there are the exceptions that prove the rule i got to say, I've said many times, I'll keep saying the time to buy a commodity producers, miners or drillers, is when the commodity itself is really, really lowly priced, as close to the, the cost of production as you'll find, because it can always go lower price-wise, but not for very long and not probably for an extended period of time. If you can find a business with a decent balance sheet that is a low-cost producer when the commodity price is pretty low, nine times a month, seven, eight times out of ten, maybe not nine times, seven, eight times out of ten, you you'll do, you'll do pretty well. That being said, if you're at a three-year high, and by the way, the oil price has gone up for five straight days as of yesterday. I don't know what happened overnight. I haven't checked it. Yeah, up again. Yeah. And look, that's great. Like, fantastic for those shareholders who've who've stuck through it. This is, if if you were buying at a cheaper oil price, this is the payday you were waiting for. It's probably not, in my view, a good probabilistic bet to get involved now. Karun might be the exception, as I said, and Gorev would know, uh, but it's not for me.
0: Yep. Okay. Let's just recap the... uh... The first five stocks are uh, education fund stocks, if you like. Uh, Scott suggested uh, the beta shares, NASDAQ 100 ETF and uh, Mark Technology One. If you can wait for it to pull back around the $8 mark. Uh, Pacific Current, uh, no from both. Uh, Coles a no from Mark. Um, if you want a part of your income portfolio, part of a diversified income portfolio, it stacks up there. in in scott's eyes uh virtus health a hold from scott a no from mark the beta shares s p 500 yield maximizer a no from mark again from scott small amount as part of a um, income portfolio would look out that you want exposure to the us and karoon energy a no Uh, from both here on the call we've been tracking. Our own fantasy portfolio since the first of July last year, thanks to our partner NAB Trade. Any stocks that get two thumbs up from both the experts on a day's panel goes into the portfolio. Let's check to see, <coughs> excuse me, how it's been going uh, for the last week: up 2.3 percent for the month, up half a percent, and year to date since the financial year to date since the first of July this year, up almost five percent um and also um since its inception uh, on the first of july last year up 42 percent some of the stocks recently added the centuria industrial REIT for income investors regis resources universal store boss resources and atomos some of the stocks removed a2 milk new hope medical developments and rio tinto uh to check all the stocks in the calls portfolio head to osbiz Dot co forward slash portfolio all right let's uh, get into the second half of the call and Kyle wants a view Scott on IOOF, the uh, the big um, portfolio management uh, group they're into financial advice uh, they bought the XANZ anz wealth management business they're in estate planning uh, one of the, the ro- really old uh, traditional um, financial services groups, wealth management groups, aren't they?
2: They are, and for those who don't know, IWF stands for the Independent Order of Odd Fellows. That's how old they <laughs> were. That was a, considered a decent name once upon a time for a, for a business that's in wealth management and financial advice. It look, it's a really difficult business to analyse. I got to say, koshi because of that recent purchase, the businesses had. I mentioned I like fund managers generally speaking. Wealth management should be a licence to print money. And yet IOOF, a little bit like Pacific Current that we started with, has had a really checkered last 10 years. The lowest earnings per share last year of the last 10 years. The challenge, of course, is that has uh, they almost doubled their share count as part of making that purchase recently. And so it's a really difficult business to analyze. The, the new business, if you like, or the, or the combined business is so different to the past businesses, it's hard to draw a line through it and say, well, therefore, this will change. Tempting to kind of look at this and think, you know what? It's, it's a it's a reborn business. Of course, it had awful trouble with some regulatory concerns, um, a whole lot of stuff in the news. You can you can Google and read about. But basically, they were dragged through the mud and deservedly so, based on some wrongdoing by some of the people at IWF. We won't go too much more into that. But effectively, brand was tarnished. The business has had a really torrid time trying to make a buck. It's made a dollar every year for the last ten years, by the way. But the trend has been all bad. That new deal, does it do enough to change the business outlook? I'm going to sit squarely on the fence, Koshi, because of that past success. They haven't, or lack thereof. they haven't been able to demonstrate an ability to grow earnings per share um, or sales per share over that period of time. If you can't do that, if you buy something else and you haven't got your original house in order, are you going to make a success of the new thing or does the new thing become victim to the current business? Now, I say all that knowing that we've changed a lot of stuff, including culture and management, so I'm not going to tar them with the brush and say it can't be done, or to assume that it must necessarily go badly from here. But it's also a brave person who says they're finally turned over a new leaf. This will be a new business. This is the beginning of yeah. of the new IWF mm. and and a much much greater and more prosperous future. So that's all possible. Uh, to Goro's point about turnarounds not turning, that's the risk with mm. IWF. It's going to be a watch list stock for me. As I said, I like funds management. I want to believe these guys can fix things. I'm an optimist by nature, but I wouldn't put people's money into it just yet. I want to see the, the whites of their eyes, some some runs on the board, choose your metaphor, uh, and and then we'll have another look maybe in 12 yep. months' time.
0: And, and there are some other
1: good options in the sector too, aren't there? Um, uh, Mark? Uh, yes, um, I agree with that. The, the, the EPS growth average is negative 15% a year over the last six years. Mm-hmm. And... As Scott rightly said, is it, this is really a turnaround story if you're going to buy it? Because uh, for us, what went on with the uh, regulatory issues and the management, and i have going to be careful what I say here because I've got into trouble once. <laughs> <as you> know, <laughs> yes. Critical of management, but um, we we put a lot of uh, weight on trust in management. So if if a company is shown to be doing the wrong thing by shareholders or lining their own pockets, I'm not saying they are. But you know, if we have a if a suspicion of that, we're not interested. Full stop. Um, now the the acquisition, whether that will change things going forward, I would want to see some results first. Because at the moment, mm. their earnings are lower than they were back in 2012, and that, and it's been a bumpy flat ride all the way through, which is woeful. So to me, why would you why would you bother?
0: Mm, okay, all right. Karen wants a view. Uh, mark on dusk? Uh, Karen says the stock. I want to hear from the gurus. There you go. That's the collective noun for you guys. Um, With the (laughs) lockdown set to open, how do you feel about the performance of Dusk in the coming times? Of course, only recently um, listed in the last uh, year or two, um, they're into home fragrant, basically candles, um, reed diffusers essential oils, uh, air purifiers, things like that. Um, I noticed when I was... I was looking around at it, that um, financial group Dat Capital has said I've uh, got a price target of $5 on it um, at the moment. So, uh, Mark, what do you think of uh, think of Dusk?
1: Um, well, um, I mean, retail generally has been fantastic for us um, with uh, AX1, Nick Scali, JB Hi-Fi, and so yep. on. The, the, our good retailers have dramatically outperformed the market. And the other good thing is ever since we had the Amazon scare years and years ago when Amazon was going to come in and kill retail, and they all got hammered and their PEs all went down to around 10. And they've stayed there ever since in a market where the average PEs have been 18, 20 or whatever, you know, going up. Dramatically because of low interest rates. So, and the, the effect of that is means means that we've been getting really good dividends and uh, getting really good growth. So, I'm very pro retail, particularly the retailers that have a, a strong online presence, which, which these guys do. Now, there's only one year of history, but looking at their numbers at the moment, their their return on equity is 75%, which is spectacular. Um, uh, their earnings per share I looked at were 35 cents, so it's making a profit. So, for us, it's just too early. Uh, I'd need to see another at least another three years before we would look at it as being a potential wealth winner. But it's look, I'd say the evidence so far, the the evidence we're we're seeing looks good. Yeah. So I'd say right. there's a good chance it'll be successful.
0: Okay. So put that on your watch list, um, Scott. It was a, a really successful float, then fell out of mm-hmm. favour, and then its first earning season reported pretty well, didn't it? So all of a sudden, investors have thought, well, maybe these guys will deliver.
2: Yeah, it's done remarkably well, Koshi. This is one that Trevor Machesi, one of our analysts, has been a real fan of for, for quite a few months now. It really is going to hinge on how much of its past success is COVID related and how much is sustainable. And we just don't know the answer to that right yet. Um, at the moment, trading on a P of under nine times earnings, which is stupidly cheap, as Mark's already highlighted, uh, means that your chance of returns are really, really good. But that's if the E is sustainable. What we don't yet know yeah. is how many people bought dust, candles, and diffusers because they're working in the back room or the study or the, the, the dining room and they wanted to kind of spruce up the house. What happens when we go back to work five days a week when when things are different, or maybe four days a week, three days a week, um, and maybe things are different around home? Do you replace the candles? Do you replace the, the oil in the diffuser? We just don't know. And and that really of all of the of all of the retail kind of concepts, this feels pretty discretionary. So that's a big, big question. I have to say a couple of things I like about the business, and this is mostly Trevor's good work, I should say, is they they largely vertically integrated. So they own the fragrances, they own the 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 kind of formulations, and the, the diffuser tech. If if you like Nanosonics, it's not miles away from that. Very very different, of course, but the idea of selling the diffuser and then selling the refillable cartridges in in dozens and dozens and dozens of different flavors it's a really super high margin business this is something like 75 percent gross margin from memory on this diffuser product which is sorry the the, um, the oils which is fantastic if people keep buying them and that is the question what i like as well is people actually are paying money i think it's 20 bucks a year to be part of the loyalty program now that's not much money and it's not the money that counts but the psychology behind actually committing some cash and saying i want to i'm paying 20 bucks i'm putting money down it's absolutely sunk cost fallacy, but it's real. People will use it because they felt like they paid for it already. Yeah. And so that's also good business. On mm-hmm. balance, I think it's a buy. Um, it should be a small part of your portfolio. Consider it not necessarily speculative as a business, but at the current share price. If the earnings do fall and don't recover, it may be more expensive than it looks. But I think yeah. this is definitely worth adding to your portfolio as long as you keep the sizing small and you expect it's a higher risk idea. Uh,
0: you are quite yeah. right.
1: Hey. Sorry, Koshi. Um, can I. Um... Can I, I'll put a vote in for a buy, bearing in mind it doesn't pass us because of we right. because we haven't got four years. But I think we have to have at least one company that we can agree on that's worth considering. <laughs> and,
0: well, you don't. There you we go. To
1: support,
0: to support Scott. Okay. You're a good man, uh, But you you make oh, a really man. good point because Lib buys candles for flaming everybody's <laughs> anniversary, <laughs> birthdays, hey, whatever. Good. And, no. and a couple of years ago, they're like cushions on your bed. They seem to multiply. Um, a couple of years ago, I said, have you ever seen anyone burn down a candle? Because I said, even in our house, with the ones they've given us. We've never used one right down to the bottom. In lockdown, we yeah. have.
2: There you go. There you go.
0: <laughs> so I can absolutely relate to your analogy. All right. Let's get uh, James uh, Scott wants uh, a view on Nitro Software um uh, james says nitro has seen a steady increase in demand but is it a buy currently they're in to productivity software um uh, workflow solutions um recently launched their own um um, nitro sign electronic electronically Mm -hmm. subscription service to uh take on a few of the ones that we all use now because uh, we all do it remotely what do you think of nitro Mm -hmm.
2: This is tough, Koshi. It's a $750 million business, not making a dollar in profit yet, and based on the most recent annual numbers, trading about 14 times sales, which is really, really expensive for for a software company. Now, if you're small enough, you can gobble it up pretty quickly. If you can grow a cup, you know, 50, 60, 80% for a couple of years, it makes something look really expensive, become really cheap, really fast. On the flip side, you're paying a lot of money for that hope uh, and that promise that, that maybe it might do the right thing. I, look, we all like to see Australian companies do well. I'd love to think yeah. that uh, Nitro could take the e-signature business off DocuSign, for example, or one of those big guys, as you mentioned. Yeah. But what are the odds, really, that, that it wins? I like the fact it's it's software as a service. I like the fact that its customers are largely business customers because they tend to be stickier. And once you sign a customer, they tend to hang around for a while. So I think you know, it, it's not a nothing business. There is something there. Its customers obviously like it. They're hanging around in large numbers. Most of the customers are hanging around every year. Um, and again, software as a service, right? So what, by the time you're embedded in a business, you're less likely to come out of that business because it's simply easier for them to keep paying the bill than try and yeah. find something else to replace you and integrate something else into the system. So I, I want to like it. I've got to say, though, not enough history. Um, it's still a from Mark's book. Sorry, mate. Uh, but I only, only got one set of uh, full-year financial results as a listed company. You're paying a lot for it, even on a sales multiple, which I'm not generally a fan of, but to, to look at a non-profitable company and say, okay, how does it at least compare to its sales? You're paying a lot across the board. It would be super speculative. can not saying it can't do it. Maybe it can. Uh, but for me, just a little bit too spicy until we see either good or better sales momentum and or hopefully some profitability.
1: Yep. Fair enough. Mark? Yeah. Well, I think it's in the name, Nitro Software. You know, I mean, does that mean that it's like <laughs> it, it, there's a fuse going there and it's going to go boom? <laughs> but no, the problem I've got with it, I, I completely concur with what Scott said, but This is a business, when I looked at what they did, I read it all and I go, well, what's interesting about all that? It's all ho-hum, all available now by major global players. Uh, There was nothing I read in there that sounded unique or different or interesting. So how can they possibly justify a market cap at multiple or a multiple of um, sales. Their sales are about 50 million a year, market cap of 727 million. I mean, now that that sort of market cap and that sort of relationship to sales is for a company that has something with explosive growth that's unique. You know, like some. If you look at some of the uh, Nasdaq success stories where they grow astronomically, this has zero chance of doing that. They're they're actually in an extremely tough business where they're competing with entrenched players. And from what I can read, there doesn't seem to be doesn't seem that they're doing anything really different or interesting it's just like they're doing it too right
0: yeah yeah okay doesn't have the, it's just potential. the
1: best, job, best marketing challenge because how yeah. do you get attention i've never heard of them you know so yeah. we use docusign and there's another one called uh, hello and yeah. and yeah they're all software as service so there's nothing there's nothing yeah. this is nothing new and you've
0: got your powerpoints and adobes and all that sort of it's, stuff it's, it's been around forever. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah. all right um Something completely different from uh, Nicole, Mark. The Fonterra Shareholders Fund. Um, it's a um, basically the Fonterra Dairy Cooperative in um, uh, in New Zealand, uh, which is um, it's basically a unit trust, isn't it, where where the farmers have a stake and investors can have a stake.
1: Yeah, well, they're sort of offering, not. You sort of get a share, uh, you get a proxy share in uh, Fonterra as part of this. And you also get a share of the management fees of somehow. But if you actually look at it, I, I sort of started reading it, it was very complicated and their performance has been terrible. Now, if the performance had been good, then you might go, okay, well, let's try and understand how it all works and see whether this is something that's worth investing in. But when they're losing money and their EPS uh, growth rate it is averaging has averaged 11% a year negative over the last six years, Now, admittedly they had a, big, they had a really big drop in 2018, and it's been flat zero uh, since then. So they've got no earnings as well. And you say, why would you put the effort into trying to understand it? And mm. so I've got, uh, I did try <laughs>
0: um,
1: so over nine years the share prices have been a slow in a slow decline so if you've yeah. been a shareholder for nine years all you've done is had misery yeah so yeah you know, and then you have a complex structure it's like what 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 I, it was too much for me yep Scott
2: I think that's pretty much right Koshi this this was designed to allow Ontario to effectively raise some capital and privatise itself to allow farmers an exit without giving up control of the cooperative, uh, which is, you know, exactly as you'd imagine. They're trying to combine two things at the same time and wonder why the square pig doesn't fit easily into the round hole. Uh, it's either an investment banker's dream or a genuine solution for those farmers who did want some sort of equity outcome. So I, I kind of, you know, the, the structure is what it is and it's, it's where it got to. It seems reasonable, at least as an alternative for those farmers That, of course, is why it's there. Whether it's a good idea to buy or not is our question, and those are very different things. It doesn't report a profit because it's effectively just a (laughs) pass-through mechanism most of the time. So it it does report profits in some years, not in others' years, but it still pays the distribution. It's a really strange one. The old camel being a horse designed by a committee, it looks and feels strange, and that makes it, as Mark said, really, really hard to analyse. It's incredibly difficult to really work out what's going on. A decent yield of 5%-ish, I think, on the current price, which is – kind of what you'd expect, right? Again, it's a a vehicle for those farmers who own it or who want to sell it for some sort of extra income from their share in the Uh, co-op. It's a tough one because it it is an income stream in a business you don't control. And so not that individual investors do have that much sway with our votes when it comes to company decisions, but you are kind of buying a cash flow from a business you don't own. And that's fine as long as the cash flow is good, the business is good, you trust what they're going to do, you're probably okay. I I, yeah look like mark i think you know if you want dairy there's better ways to buy access to that um i do think this is one it probably is cheap actually because the farmers want out there's a reasonably small number of potential buyers so maybe actually you are doing up getting it reasonably cheaply at the moment because you're you're you know uh, it's a it's a buyer's market and maybe that means the price is just cheap to buy of course if that doesn't change and yeah. sellers keep coming into the market then so. the price keeps going down rather than going back up so yeah just too hard too complex too unnecessary okay. There are swings worth taking in the share market. This one is one I'd happily go past.
1: Okay. Uh, and also, f- just that, it's yeah, it's sorry, not- Chris, just to add to that too, it's they're not franked the dividends. Right. So yeah. okay. that makes that five percent. No, I'd rather have coals.
0: Right. Yep. Yeah. Good point. a uh, final stock, uh, Scott, Vib wants a view on Illumina. Uh, mm. the uh, bauxite mining, alumina refining, aluminium smelting, business, uh, uh, <laughs> aluminium prices have shot up in the last couple of months hasn't and alumina yeah. share price has uh, as well because of a, uh, a bit of a shortage in China. What do you think of alumina? Yeah.
2: Have I mentioned my view on commodities, Kashi? I think I probably have. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cover aluminum <laughs> as well, but but almost one step removed. This is actually more similar, ironically, to the Fonterra shareholders fund than it is to, to a miner, uh, because effectively its business is not really a business. It has two shareholdings. It owns 40% of Alcoa in the US and it owns 55% of the Portland aluminium smelter. And so, yeah, I mean, to some degree, it's got both those bits of businesses, but it's kind of, again, this kind of hybrid structure that really doesn't even need to exist any more on the ASX it does for historical reasons. The reality is it, it's a it's a you know an income flow from Alcoa and a little bit of operational and, and and financial benefit or otherwise cost from the Portland smelter. Makes it a really, really difficult business. But as you rightly said at the very top, it's a leverage play on the aluminium price. That's great when the price goes up and you see the benefit of that over the last you know month or so. Um, but if you don't it for the previous you know 10 months, you've gone nowhere but down. It literally is a leverage play. And as I've said many times, mate, and I'll keep saying, uh, buying after the price of aluminum has gone up, generally not the smartest idea. Yep. You want to buy when it's gone down. So look for the reverse of that chart, and that's what I'd be interested
1: Okay. Mark? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's on a 34 P But if you look at their earnings, they, were, they, they had a big run-up from 2016 from... Uh, one cent up to 32 cents. So everyone would have been excited about that. And then they've dropped off a bit, then collapsed down in uh, 2020 back to seven cents. So mm-hmm. if you look at the whole history of this, going back, it's, it's been a pretty sorry tale, really. And the return on equity is 8.8, um, which is yeah still pretty pretty mediocre. You know? okay. so And we like return on equity because in the long run, long run on an equivalent P ratio, it's giving you a basic maximum of what your return is going to be. Right. So um, we like higher return on equities. That's why we say, and Buffett says, he won't invest for less than 10% as an absolute minimum, and we like 15 or 20. Yep,
0: okay. All right, Viv, there you go. Some uh, good, clear advice on Illumina. Gents, thank you for that. Um, Marco, we'll let you get back in the cave there. Are you really in a cave, or is that wallpaper behind you in Arizona?
1: <laughs> I'm, in a, I'm in a Hilton Garden Inn, which is the best hotel in this little town. <laughs> okay, but what's the wallpaper? It looks as though you're about to go down a mine yeah, shaft. It's, it's, that's uh, granite, because what Arizona has is magnificent granite bluffs. Uh, where I drove today, is the scenery is spectacular. Absolutely wow. fabulous. Okay, half your luck. We're all jealous now,
0: all in lockdowns. Good on you. All right, mate. Good, good to thing. see you. Hello. And uh, Scott in the Southern Highlands, equally as beautiful there. We're always <laughs> jealous of where you work out of. Uh, have a good rest of the week. Good to see you.
2: Thanks, Scott. Gotcha. You too, mate.
0: All right. Yeah. Let's uh, recheck the final five stocks from the uh, recommendations from uh, from Scott and Mark of no uh, better alternatives in that investment management sector uh, dusk a yes from both scott and mark uh, nitro software and no fonterra just too complicated um, as is alumina so uh, that's our show for today if you'd like to suggest any stocks for me to put to our expert panel uh, put them in an email to me the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at ausbiz tv handle Uh, a reminder you can find all the stocks in the calls portfolio head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio that's it for this edition of the call we'll catch you same time tomorrow from midday eastern with another 10 stocks another expert panel to put you in the right direction look forward to your company then